next two gals to come up and sit with me. This is Kalea Mactoto and Ashley Coffin. Will you welcome them? So as you know, tonight is a night of um, just really sharing hope, and uh, our desire is to share uh, encouraging words with you and stories from real-life people, real talk with real people, and our desire is to give you hope. And I've asked these gals to come join me because they both have really amazing stories that I wanted to share with you. And um, I'm just going to get right to it. Um, Even though both of them are very different, Kalea and Ashley, and they come from different backgrounds, and they, um, you know, obviously are different ages uh, and have different stories, the Lord is using both of them. And so my uh, desire is that young and old will learn from both of these gals um, and be encouraged, as I said, regarding their stories. And so I'm going to let Kalea just share a little bit um, regarding, um, you know, I just want you to share your story. So, and then I'll, I'll maybe ask you some questions and interrupt you. (laughs) Um, Well, I didn't necessarily grow up in a Christian home. My parents weren't, um, real dedicated believers to Christ until I was about in junior high. So I didn't grow up in church learning like Sunday school songs and whatnot. But um, but when they did finally like come to the Lord, we were at this church and my mom um, had me go to a, a junior high winter camp in seventh grade. And I think that's, that's where I first um, understood who Jesus was and I answered an altar call there. And so I believe that's when I was first saved. But... Um, but like growing up in elementary school, because I didn't know the Lord, I was a people pleaser. I didn't know what it meant to like live for Jesus, and I just wanted to make everyone around me happy with with me and proud of me. And so I worked, I worked really hard to make sure I was putting up this good image of myself, even starting in elementary school and trying to have the right friends, trying to be accepted. And um, in junior high, when we moved here. Um, it just kind of like gets worse because it's junior high and I'm trying to make new friends here. I'm at this new new school, new place, and just trying to um, be someone else than who I really am. And then eventually like all that stuff just weighs down on you. But when I became uh, a Christian that in seventh grade, I moved to homeschooling in eighth grade, which I thought would be a good idea because I didn't want to be around the bad influence of the friends that I had made by acting like someone else. But then that just turned into loneliness of being alone and not having a lot of friends around me who I could just talk to and be with. And um, that's when I started to become depressed. And I was trying to keep up my good grades, but I couldn't, so I was cheating on everything to make sure I had the straight A's because I thought that's what my parents expected of me and what people wanted for me to have like good grades so I can get into a good college and all this other stuff. And so all this stuff was weighing down on me and I was becoming very ashamed of my cheating because I felt like, I don't know, people just expected more from me, but I just couldn't perform right. So I was just cheating and everything. And then um, freshman year came around and it was just still this constant thing. And um, just loneliness, trying to put up an act in front of people at church. I was still coming here, but I didn't have any, not, I didn't have that many, like, good friends here, and so freshman year, I 
is when the depression got really, really bad, and I eventually turned to cutting and self-harm, so I would be able to numb myself and not feel all this pain in this void that I had dug into my life. And, um, and eventually, I quickly got addicted to that. It just became a day-to-day habit of just, it's what I want to, to feel numb or to feel pain, or just because it's something that I eventually grew to to liking and I was just in bondage to this and that brought up a lot of anxiety trying to hide that from everyone and then um, in the sophomore year I transferred to Calvary Chapel High School because I realized I needed to be out of school and so my parents sent me there and um, and then the same thing <laughs> new friends trying to fit in but not fitting in and this constant battle back and forth of hiding everything but just trying my best to be someone I'm not and trying to please people and I became very suicidal. Um, I attempted to take my life a handful of times but God just wouldn't let it happen. Either the blade didn't go in or anything. He just saved me from that and wouldn't let that happen. And um, it was just, I was just hopeless. I didn't understand why I was alive. I didn't think I was enough for anyone. I felt like I didn't have any any real worth in this life. I felt like I shouldn't be alive. I felt like I didn't have anywhere I was going. I was just, I was just done. And so it, it was another night. Um, I was about to go attempt suicide again, and I was just trying to make sure it would work this time. But um, it was in the middle of the night, and before I was laying in bed, and before I could get up, I felt this weight come on me. And it was, it was the Lord. He was pressing down on me, and he was saying no. And um, he, he just held me there, and he said, no, I, I love you. And I have a purpose for you if you would just trust me and, and live and, and just, just believe in me and believe that I have you here for a reason and I have a plan for your life. And... I fought it for a long time, but then eventually I just gave in. I was like, okay, Lord. I remembered everything that I was learning in church, even though I thought I was blocking it out. He just reminded me of his love, and he said, and so um, and so I didn't. Obviously, I didn't kill myself that night. And once I submitted to God's love and decided to just say, okay, Lord, I trust you, and no matter what's ahead of me from this point on, whenever, however hard recovery is going to be, Lord, I'll, I'll trust you. And then once I made that decision, the weight just came off me. And it was like God came down and instead wrapped his arms around me and said, I love you and just trust me, watch. And you will see, you will see how much I love you and you'll see how I'm going to use you and use your life to glorify me and to inspire others to glorify me also. And so from there, it took, it took a while, it took a, a few years, but eventually like I stopped cutting, I um, got over my anxiety. He just filled me with so much peace, just um, constantly bring me back to his word and to his promises and um, continuing to bring me to this relationship with him to where now we're just walking together through this life. And, um, and yeah, so that's nice. <laughs> You know, when we get saved and we say yes to Jesus, 
it means now we become allies with Jesus and we've crossed over and our enemy now is the devil and he is not happy with that and he will do whatever possible. The Bible says in the book of John that he comes to rob, steal and destroy, kill. That's his desire. That is his agenda. And he will stop at nothing to accomplish that. Uh, It is interesting that uh, suicide is the number two, the second cause of death in uh, people, kids, age 15 to 24. And it is on the rise. And so it is a very real thing. Depression is very real. Um, and, And so it was on my heart as I spoke with Kalei and really prayed about how we could tackle this very real issue. It's very real um, for um, children, uh, obviously, but adults. I did some, uh, you know, reading, and I could not believe the statistics. It was astonishing, the uh, number of people who uh, are depressed, and I'll share a little, a few of them with you. But I want to ask Kalea, um, so... What would you say to somebody out here that may be feeling those same things? Uh, I guess what I would call maybe the not the not enough lies. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not successful enough. I'm not, uh, I don't know, whatever. I'm not holy enough. I mean, I'm just not enough. What would you say to them? Um, Well, God obviously says that he is enough for us and... um, he didn't, he didn't just make us and place us on this earth. He made us, but he made us with a plan and a f- purpose for our lives. And so it talks about in the Bible how he, per- he made us and he planned out good works for us to walk in. And he has a plan for our lives and he made us capable of doing those things. And he will be with us and he'll empower us to, to live this life that he planned out for us. And it's just trusting in him and holding his hand and being like, okay, Lord, like wherever you're going to take me, I trust in you because you, you know it all and you planned out everything. So you said it took you about two years to, to really, I guess, maybe become healthy is what you would say. Um, what did you do during those two years? What did you make part of maybe your daily routine to help you? Um, I, I started talking to my mom more, just kind of opening up, getting more connected in, in fellowship and um, talking with my pastor a lot more. And then just even in my own private time, just making it a point to pray and read my Bible. And even if I didn't feel like I got anything out of it, I would still go in and just try to seek the Lord as much as I could because I knew I couldn't do it without him. And I knew it would be so easy to slip away without, without that. Exactly. I mean, it it almost is the same thing that Sarah said, right? So here we see with Sarah and with Kalea, really the answer, of course, is found in Jesus Christ. But I think especially for depression, so uh, it it appears as though the enemy comes and, and it begins with oppression. And oppression can very quickly lead to depression if it's not dealt with. If we don't realize where it's coming from, we know oppression is from the enemy. And so if we don't know, I think that's half the battle trying to figure out is where is this feeling or whatever coming from. And, um, and we need to know that it's the enemy who does not want us to 
be successful with Jesus, does not want us to go forward, doesn't want us to read the Bible, doesn't want us to be in fellowship, doesn't want us to share. And again, going back to Sarah, I think something that Kalea said as well is isolation. You know, when we isolate, we are in the devil's hands. I mean, he's just, it, we're ripe, we're ready, and we pull away from everybody, and, and we hide, and, and then he begins to feed us his lies. And then we begin to believe them. And the best thing we can do is not isolate, but rather infiltrate. Like Kalea said, get busy, get up, serve the Lord, read your Bible, tell people, have accountability. I think we can combat that isolation and that desire to withdraw with doing the exact opposite because we need to recognize that as the devil. We need to recognize that he wants to get us away from everybody who loves us, everybody who wants to pour into us, um, everybody who can speak truth into us when we um, aren't into the the place where we can get into the word of God. So we need to recognize the lie. And then when we are in the word of God, like Kalea is healthy now, she knows because she sees the truth. She knows the truth of the word of God. When we know the truth, then we know the Bible says the truth is what sets us free. And so the truth is what sets us free. But before we can be set free by the truth, we have to... Um, we have to get to a place where other people can help us. And I think uh, in, in my research and my reading, it's a, really exactly what Kalea was saying. The enemy seeks to isolate us. And then um, I believe, uh, as I was reading, that it said depression, um, I guess to qualify as depression, it's like two weeks where you are in that, two consistent weeks where you're in that place of um, isolation and um, just really not um, thriving. You, you don't have a desire to do anything. You don't have a desire to get up and get out. And I would say, get up and get out. Would you agree? Would you? Okay. Share, share with us a little bit about that. Um, what did well, you do? How did you get up and get out? Like, what were things that you did? Did you go for a walk? Did I, I, I don't know. I just, I would get up. I remember there were a few days where I just wanted to stay in my room and just cry. But I remember my mom would just come in and she's like, no, you're going to come out with us. And I hated it at first. But then afterwards, like looking back, I realized it did have that effect of getting me out of my mind for this moment and to get a clear, clear vision on life again and realizing like it's, it's, this isn't it. Like there's more. And, um, and doing that, trying not to stay in my room a lot, (laughs) trying to go out more. I would say a word for moms, if you're here, would be be mindful if your kid spends a lot of time alone in their room um, for several reasons. One, boys, you know, be mindful of that. But then just your other children, no matter what their age is, just alone, I'm not talking about little ones playing, but, you know, uh, teenagers that spend a lot of time and and don't want to get up, don't want to get out, don't want to thrive, don't want to be involved. uh, And, you know, be be the mom like Kalea's mom who got her up and got her out in, or the grandma who does that and um, encourages them because, you know, the devil, it's crazy how he gets you at night. Have you noticed that? When at night, when you're alone and you're there and um, it's just the thoughts, where does he come here in the mind? And then we, we begin to believe those lies that he feeds us. And so if necessary, uh, well, I would say it is necessary to have accountability, to tell somebody, you know, I'm just kind of feeling, 
um, depressed, uh, and and I would maybe have somebody you can be accountable to, and they can help you, help you to get up, maybe call you uh, and um, ask you to get up, go for a walk or something like that. It is amazing what a little sunshine can do. Amen? <laughs> it's true. I... I firmly believe that there are many who experience postpartum depression and don't even know it. I did after I had our, um, I think it was our daughter. I experienced a little just depression, and uh, we lived in Florida at the time, and I felt like the Lord kept saying to me, get up and get outside and just get like 20 minutes in the sun. And I did, and it helped so much. So if maybe that's for somebody here. If that ministers to you, get up and get out and just get in, in the sun. Um, seasonal depression is also, I didn't know this, that seasonal depression is very common as well, meaning there are seasons where people become depressed. Why? Because there isn't any sun, right? In places where there isn't a lot of sun, the uh, uh the rate of depression is higher, seasonal depression that is. And then when the sun comes out, people seem to be a little less depressed. So get up and get out and get some sunshine. If you're feeling just funky, you know, if you're just feeling like I something, um, that's how it starts. That's what I would call oppression is a funk. You don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know what it is. You love the Lord. You walk with the Lord, but it's there. And then it, if it's not dealt with, it will soon spiral down into some unhealthy things and even depression and then a depression if it's not dealt with uh will spiral down to um you know self-harm and self-harm goes to suicide but before um we move on i want to read you some statistics just so that you know um how crazy depression is um let me read, read you really quick if I find it here in my notes. You did such a good job, Kalea. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. So, uh, being that we are live here, we don't want to take too much time, but um, I do have these statistics that really are um, quite alarming, and um, and they are somewhere in my notes. And there's oh, okay, I found them. Okay, um, I already told you that the second leading cause of death in kids, age 15 to 24, is suicide, and um, uh, it says, as of March 7th, 2018, 300 million people worldwide have depression. 6.7% of all adults in our country have experienced a major depressive episode in the past year. Um, 16.2 million adults in the United States is equaling 6.7% of all adults in the country. 10.3 million U.S. adults experienced an episode that resulted in severe impairment in the past year. Nearly 50% of all people diagnosed with depression are also diagnosed with anxiety disorder. 
Also, girls are more likely to experience depression than boys. There is a sharp increase in depression in girls uh, just after puberty. I found that to be interesting. The American Academy of Pediatrics now recommends regular depression screening for all adolescents between the ages of 11 and 21. That was alarming. 3.1 million young people between the ages of 12 and 17 have experienced at least one major depressive episode in the past year in the United States. 2.3% of children ages 6 through 12 have serious depression. Anyways, I could go on and on. You get the idea. It's severe, and it's um, actually on the increase. So um, as Kalea shared, and um, I think with these statistics in mind, we need to be those who are the ones that would help someone else, if we, if someone asks, if we notice, and then moms with children, definitely, um, and, or moms, I mean, we can fall under this category as well. Uh, so we need to be just mindful, um, keep that in, um, you know, in your mind as you, as you continue, you may not be there now, you may not know anybody now, but maybe in the future, these statistics and these things that Kalea shared may help you as well. So we want to be proactive, don't we? We don't want to sit back and be the people that are ignorant of what is occurring in our world. And we do know, don't we, that the world is not going to get better. It's going to get harder. It's harder to... In fact, um, statistically, uh, this is the hardest era to live ever because um, it's the hardest to walk with the Lord. It's the hardest time in our lives to go forward with Jesus and to say, stay on that straight and narrow path because we have so um, much warring against us, not just the devil, but we have the world that is constantly comparing us, isn't it? I mean, we have social media, we have Facebook, we have, you know, of course, Instagram, where we can see anybody's life that we want to see. And what happens when you look at someone's life and it's fun and exciting and they're going to all these places or whatever, doing whatever, have this or have that. Don't you start thinking like, oh, I wish I had that or could go there or do that or or was used by the Lord like they are or whatever it is, we begin then comparing our lives to someone else and and the enemy can actually use that. So it's difficult for us. It's so difficult for our children. It's such a hard time for our kids to be um, walking with the Lord right now because there's uh, the the constant comparison going on, I mean, on a daily basis, no wonder we have so many that are depressed. No wonder this is happening in our world. So we as parents need to be mindful what we allow in our home and put in front of our children and allow them. We, we want to protect our kids. And they may say, well, I'm the only person who doesn't, whatever, have a phone or Instagram or, or why me? But we're saying, we're trying to protect you from harm. We're trying to protect you from comparing your life to anyone else's and, and going down that slippery slope. Would you agree, Kalea? Was that something that you ever struggled with, comparing? Yeah, a lot. Okay. So tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll move on to Ashley. Um, it's just 
obviously social media, but even just with the people around me, just looking at them like, oh, they're so much prettier. Why are they happier than me? Why why do they have this kind of life, but I don't have it? And um, But then it's just coming back to the idea I was talking about, how God made us specifically for our specific lives, and we are enough for the life he has given us. And so I don't need to look at someone else and be like, why are they like that? I just need to remember that God has a purpose for me. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thanks, Kalea. So, you are enough. I love it. You're enough. You're enough. You're, you're, you're exactly like God wants you to be. He created you from the foundation of the earth in your mother's womb to be enough. So we can do away with those lies that you are not enough because you are enough. And I think that's a word for somebody here today. So we're going to move on to Ashley. Ashley's going to share a little bit of her story, a little different than Kalea, but she's going to share. So I'm just going to give you the floor. Go ahead. So I am 30 years old. I have four kids. I was married at 18, engaged at 17, started very young. Um, my husband and I have been married now for 12 years, together for 15. Um, but majority of our marriage was not rainbows and butterflies. Um, I was brought up in a Catholic home, and it was very uniformed. It was, you know, you go to church on Sunday. I went to private school through the week. Never once opened a Bible. Um, was never taught to have a relationship with the Lord, to have that intimate connection with them. So I not raised myself, but I kind of navigated figuring out who I was completely worldly with no guidance really from a biblical view, which led to um, so many um, trials and a lot of error. I I had an affair for many years of our marriage, and I was entangled in lie upon lie upon lie of keeping up who I was when I was at work and who I was when I was at home and who I was as a wife or who I was as a mother. And I really didn't know who I was. I was just completely lost, trying to fit in, trying to make friends. I was a young mom, and I wanted to still hang out with the girls my age and go out and have fun and be fit and look good while my husband was home with my kids. And so I had so many different Ashleys out there, and it was exhausting trying to keep up with which one am I today Um, and just trying to stay on top of everything. And living a life like that while raising four kids is detrimental to them because they're seeing their mother not in in a way that they should, not in a way of a role model for our daughter or a role model for our sons for you know the, the potential woman that they will bring home one day um, so my sin and my emptiness and confusion was not just affecting me but it was affecting my kids and what they were being brought up seeing and my husband was there um, through everything through the many years um, he He couldn't help me. I couldn't help me. Um, I wasn't really 
wanting help. I didn't think I needed help. Uh, I was just kind of going through the everyday life of just, you know, moment to moment, minute to minute, and going nowhere real quick. And um, until last year, we were saved, just last year, I was saved last May. So up until then, um, you know, we just kind of got to a point where it was just, it was low. I had decided that I was done with my marriage and I was going to go out. I was going to do my own thing. I was going to break up a home of our four children and just kind of leave, you know, just just be selfish and just do what I was going to do and not really think of the repercussions down the road that it would have on our family. And uh, it got really bad. It was a really dark time uh, that I just kind of bottled up and put a face on, and I went to work every day, and, you know, I was the, the happy-go-lucky girl at work, and nobody really knew what was going on, you know, behind this front that I had on. Uh, until April 17th last year is actually when my husband opened a Bible for the first time. He, too, was a Catholic. Neither one of us knew the Lord intimately. Uh, we were very involved in the Catholic Church, but still there was just that empty void of not having that relationship. So he was saved, and which quickly opened my eyes to kind of, you know, what what is he doing? What is this new world? Um, and I didn't really want any part of it. I was just going to keep on doing my own thing and just let him kind of go down the road that he was doing and until I came to a place where I really saw him changing and that caught my attention because this was a man who was very strong, very, very involved in the Catholic Church who was very set in his ways and he was opening his heart to a whole new world. So I asked, I wanted to know what he was doing and I decided to meet with the biblical counselor that he was meeting with. Um, and I didn't really know what I was walking into. I just knew that I was curious. So I went in to my first session with our counselor, and I sat for about three hours telling this man my life story. All the sin, all the adultery, all of the drinking, all of the, you know, just selfishness, the self-image, the just everything that I was, I was going through. All the things that I thought were important in my life, come to find out they weren't. And a month later in May, I opened the Bible. And I, it took me a little while, you know, I would, um, I was in the Word, I was, you know, watching the church app, and we were involved in another church down in um, Chula Vista where we used to live, uh, but I was still kind of dabbling. I wasn't quite sure, I wasn't, you know, I still wanted that selfish piece of me that I didn't want to let go of. I wanted to still have fun, and I still wanted to, you know, kind of do my thing, and so I was still on, on the fence back and forth, so it, it didn't for me, when I was saved, it wasn't just a quick, you know, okay, I'm saved and I'm all better and let's move forward. It took me a little while, um, slowly uh, getting to know the Lord and and also confessing all my sin to my husband and just really learning that 
the part of me that was really, I was, I was a liar. I lied about everything, the smallest things to the biggest things, and for no reason. So learning to trust in the Lord, learning to know that I can be honest, I can be me, that, you know, Jesus loves me, and no matter what the outcome is of me being truthful, of me finding who I was, he was not going to forsake me. He was going to be there. And once I realized that and fully just surrendered to him and loved him, he's never left me. And it's only been a year, and he's done so much work in our lives. And our kids have completely, you know, rebounded from this life of, you know, watching mom and dad, you know, having people over and having parties and drinking and spending all kinds of money and just being really irresponsible to now their favorite thing is coming to church. And they're surrounded by these kids who also love coming to church. So we've seen by us changing, by the Lord's hand being on our lives, it's, you know, it's a ripple effect. And that was a big thing that we learned was, you know, it's their, their future and their kids' future and their kids' future. It, it falls on us and what we teach them now and what we instill in them now. So now, you know, we're coming to church and we're coming as much as we can. And it's just been a a transformation that happened so quickly once we both just really surrendered that it's been amazing to see what the Lord can do. He can pull you from anything, anything that you're involved in. If you think that there's not a way out, he, there's nothing that's too big for him. He can pull you out of any sin. He can, if, you know, if, you, if, if you're sitting there thinking, you know, how do I even start? How do I, how do I tell my husband? Or how do I make this change? Or, you know, how do, I, how do I like myself? How do I not worry about what I look like all the time? Just take it to the feet of the Lord, and he will, he will hold you. He will cradle you, and he will fill you with this love of just this overflowing, overwhelming feeling of just peace of you you shouldn't have this amount of peace going through trying to put your life back together and figuring out who you are but there's just so much contentment in the lord and in his love that it's just it's a beautiful thing and and he can he can take you out of anything that you're in there's nothing too big for him amen amen Well, a couple of things that I love what Ashley said, and this is really the first time I'm hearing the whole thing together. I've heard bits and pieces, but um, is, wow, I mean, like, when's the last time you heard the Lord just, someone got saved by opening the Bible? I mean, normally we hear, you know, they go forward at an altar call or receive, but just opening the Bible and, and recognizing that that's what you need, that, I mean, really is unheard of. I mean, really is rare. I mean, you hear of that in maybe visions in other parts of the country but but here um wow what a what a blessing and then and then i mean really it's kind of flip-flop normally it's the woman who's you know trying to to be the one to win her husband over and and this was him and god used his life and his transformation in your life and um let me just say their kids are absolutely adorable 
And um, the whole family is on fire for the Lord. It's crazy. You know, some people get saved and, you know, and there's transformation. These guys exploded. It was just like, wow, uh, just so neat, so much so that they moved closer and closer and closer to the church so that they weren't driving from San Diego. These guys were driving from Chula Vista four times a week um, because they just wanted the word of God. And so I'm just really blessed to have them. And um, thank you, Ashley, for sharing your story. What a blessing. So... Basically, what I'm hearing from both of them and something um, that they both repeated was that um, peace comes when you surrender. And it's full and complete surrender. And I think that's, um, Kalea mentioned it was a process as well. And, and for Ash, it was a process. And for me personally, I don't share my testimony very often, and I won't um, share it its entirety. But I will say that that is how it happened with me as well. It was a process. I got saved at 15, went forward at the Billy Graham crusade in 1984. Uh, but nevertheless, I'm dating myself. But I, you know, went forward then, but didn't know anybody who was saved, didn't, nobody told me what to do, didn't have any examples, so I really didn't go forward with the Lord, but at 16, I was in Palm Springs, somebody gave me a track, so I'm a big track person, because you never know who's going to fall in the hands, I'm like, I'm indebted to that person who handed me a track, don't know who it was, but when I got home from Palm Springs that weekend, I looked, and uh, that track, I read it, and I asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior once again. Well, didn't really take. The third time was the charm for me. 19, Calvary Costa Mesa, walk forward. I think anybody could have led me to the Lord. I was so ripe and ready, and I got saved then. And, of course, I've been walking with the Lord, um, not turned back since I was 19, on fire for Jesus. And um, But I will say it is a process sometimes, and it really does uh, depend upon whether you have surrendered. And that's so amazing because I would say that at the Billy Graham Crusade, I surrendered my heart to Jesus. I was really genuine, but it was my will that was not surrendered. And it took me several years to surrender my will. And that could be somebody here today. You've surrendered your heart to Jesus. You've gone forward, you pray the prayer, maybe once, twice, three times, whatever, but it's your will that is after. He's after your heart, but then he goes for the will. And the will sometimes takes time to surrender. And it could be a slow process, but we can speed it up by just saying, Lord, take all of me. I surrender my heart, my will, everything. And, um, and let the Lord do that amazing work in your life. So whether you're, you're fine or you're struggling with any of these issues, whether, um, you know, you haven't surrendered your will to the Lord, whether you're experiencing some things, maybe that Kalea has described, or maybe you're not at all, uh, but you may know somebody who is, uh, or you may experience some in the future. You may in the future have a time where you're like, I think I might be, you know, oppressed or I'm isolating or I'm going through that. I remember that girl talked about that. Remember what not to do. Don't isolate, infiltrate, you know, just get out and do, um, 
you know, get out in the sun, get in the word, get with people, get with accountability, get in a good Bible teaching church, get in the word of God, get in prayer like Sarah was sharing in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And it's a peace that really is unexplainable, isn't it? And you probably all here have stories, the same thing. You have stories that you want to share with us as well. And, um, and you may be here and you may need um, prayer. And after we're done, Beth, Bethany's going to share with us. But when we're done, we want to offer you an opportunity to be able to pray with somebody and say, and have accountability with somebody if you don't have anybody. So um, would you give these gals um, a hand?